Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Price Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New game day shirt. Boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate. Boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W. But you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction, eligibility, and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member. FDIC. You're listening to the Men in Blazers Media Network, Suboptimal Radio. How are Weston McKinney's piano skills? Because Ophelia is now very keen to show it off on social media. I've I haven't seen the videos, but I need to I need to check them out. Somebody else told me that apparently Weston has been showing off his skills. I'd give him like a seven, eight out of ten. I think with my you know under my study, he could become proper pianist. <laughs> But it'll take some time and hard work, some sweat and determination, possible blood, tears, but get them there. Welcome to a Men in Blazers pod special. It's Davo here with a new installment of our pod special series presented by the GFOPs at Camarena Tequila, who are supporting this collection of extended conversations with some of the biggest guests in the Men in Blazers universe. Today's guest, a Grammy-nominated artist whose music is faintly audible pretty much everywhere around the world. We're talking about Jeremiah Freights of the Lumineers. And as if being a member of one of the world's most ubiquitous bands is not enough, not only is he fluent in the universal language of music, but he is also familiar with the Rosetta Stone qualities of football. And Rog recently had the chance to sit down with the New Jersey-born Juventus fan to discuss literally marrying into the Turin team, his own youth soccer career, and a magical night out with Wayne Rooney. You will not want to miss this story. So without further ado, here it is, presented by Camarena Tequila, the most awarded tequila, my favorite tequila, our Men in Blazers pod special with the one and only Jeremiah Freights. Joining me now is an exceptionally talented musician. You will know him as one half of the Lumineers, that beloved band who were once described by a critic as gritty, determined, soaked in sweat and love and drive. Essentially the musical equivalent of Tyler Adams then. And my guest is a drummer, pianist, mandolinist, songwriter, who says you can't do it all. He's also a proud booster of the American suspender industry. And he's also proper, proper football. A recent touring transplant who's gone full ball for the black and white of Juventus. Oh, joining us from the middle of the bright side world tour of the Lumineers. Catch them now. It's the one and only... Mr. Jeremiah Freight. Hey, Raj. How you doing? Nice to be here. Oh, Jeremiah, it's so lovely to see you from afar in Italy. That's where you live now, but you're originally from Ramsey, New Jersey, Bergen County, just one town over from where Bergen County Buffon Matt Turner grew up. It is proper football territory, as we will discuss. And that's where the Lumineers began. 
In its first iteration, early 2000s, teenage angst jamming on the top floor of your parents' house. Back then, what did you imagine was possible for you, Jeremiah? I don't know what we thought was possible. I mean, I think that when starting out in music, I just wanted to be happy. I think that my parents wanted me to go to university and secure a job. They were proud that I was learning piano. But I think that I always imagined myself, you know what, I'm probably going to be 40 or 50 one day. I'm probably going to be living in my parents' basement, but I'll be happy doing what I love. <laughs> yeah, I always wanted something like this to happen, but I still have pinched me moments around the clock. God, that answer just makes me feel bold and audacious about my future banjo solo album, <laughs> which is surely forthcoming if I follow your track as an inspiration. But you've said that when you and your partner, Wes Schultz, best Wes since McKinney, when you started playing together, you're actually, I don't know if this is true, a prog diehard, right? Yeah. You, you were really yeah, into yeah, yeah. instrumental bands with weird drums, I think, was in your words. Yeah, I mean, I really, I think when I was younger, 17, 18, it had to be complicated, it had to be fierce, it had to be hard. I really loved Metallica, Tool, but, you know, you said the word prog. I loved Dream Theater, Planet X, Rush, Yes, all the great classics that were, as long as it was complicated and intense and fiery, that was <laughs> that was sort of what I was into. I didn't really like simple stuff, yeah. Wes was into Dylan, Leonard Cohen, Tom Petty, very different vibes, to put it lightly. How did he go about finding a style that you were both comfortable with? Because when you put those two Venn diagrams together, you've essentially got two circles. And I am fascinated about creative difference within partnerships. I think the creative differences within the partnership actually makes a lot of sense. I, I can vividly remember uh, me and our mutual friend, Justin, we were listening in a car in New Jersey many years ago. We were listening to one of those prog bands I had just mentioned and I remember turning around and looking like Wes was about to vomit. And then uh, he was coming from a background of loving Tom Petty, Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan, and some of the stuff he showed me, you know, I just thought, oh man, this is just so not what I'm into, spoken word or beautiful poetry, lyrics. And it's amazing how far we've come. I wouldn't say that he's become a prog head and I wouldn't say that I've become an amazing uh, lyricist, but I'm a profound admirer now of words. And I think that, We've both filled in each other's gaps beautifully over the years. You know, we've we've fallen in love with what the other person brought to the table. And I think that's what makes our creative uh, chemistry so long lasting and, and good. Fall in love with the gaps. I adore that. Oh, you and I both pro words. But part of the Lumineers backstory is grounded in a harrowing sense of shared loss. You originally met Wes as a friend of your older brother, Josh who passed away of an overdose when you were in high school and you've now been bandmates together. You've journeyed for over two decades. How much of that longevity do you think is down to everything you've lived through together in that crucible? I think that failure and tragedy can sometimes have a way of bonding people more than success can. You know, success can actually maybe splinter and uh, disrupt relationships. And I think my brother, Joshua, he was friends with Wes. Wes is a few years older than me. So I was friends with Wes's younger brother who was the same age as me. And we used to play together growing up. And then, you know, my brother got wrapped up in, in drugs. And after he had uh, passed away at the age of the young age of 19 of a heroin overdose, I pray that remains to be the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I think that that gave me this sort of jet fuel of 
I wouldn't call it inspiration because that sort of thing doesn't, doesn't inspire you. It kind of gives you just like a bottomless pit of dread and grief, which artists can actually work off of if they're able to come out of that. And I think I was able to come out of that and use a lot of that. And obviously that was something really sad too for Wes. And um, it's not as cut and dry that he died and we're looking at each other over the casket. Let's start a band. You know, he had died years prior to me and Wes joining up for this band. But I do think that coming from a small town, suburbia, America, um, experiencing that, it just sort of set something off in me, especially, obviously. And yeah. God, you know, you, the, another aspect of your career rise that I really admire is that you'd already been composing and performing for almost 10 years before you had your first hit. The ho hey heard all around the world and the song peaked at number three on the chart. And you were suddenly propelled from Denver open mic nights to global recognition in a matter of months. What was that whiplash like in that moment? It's a good way to describe it. I think that, you know, we were this overnight success and a lot of people say an overnight success takes 10 years. And I think that that's kind of what happened. I think that we had been writing and recording and gigging constantly nonstop in the New York City area. We'd go maybe down up to Boston, down to South Jersey. You know, we didn't do a lot of gigging because we were still in our parents' Subaru outback <laughs> of soccer mom van, whatever we were driving back then. But uh, Rock and roll. Yeah, I remember that we performed, we performed at the Grammys and because of which a lot of people thought we won a Grammy. So a lot of people congratulated, hey, congrats on the Grammy. And, you know, we never took the time to uh, correct them. We were like, yeah, proper, thank you. Um, but yeah, we, I remember seeing Rihanna there. Uh, we ran into Sting. We kind of, we quite literally, me and the, the piano player, Stealth, quite literally ran into uh, Elton John. We were running around like uh, little children just running into the crowd and stealth in front of me had run into Elton John's sort of security entourage. I think stealth exclaimed, holy shit. And then Elton John said to stealth, I love your band, something like that. And then I pushed stealth out of the way and I was like, there's no fucking way. You know who we are, mate. Like, there's no way. And he said, you're Jeremiah Freights and Illuminaires. I love you, mate. Like, I love your music. We've been trying to work with you. Elton John gave me a little love tap on my cheek. And then just like, whoosh, like a whiff of smoke just left my presence. And I was like, there's no way that just happened. And then I remember some of the press got a hold of it and they were like, Elton John slaps Jeremiah in the face. So you can still find those, I'm sure, buried in the uh, tabloid-esque eras of the, uh, the paper. But um, that story alone, things like that, that were happening in that time, it was a lot. It was like a rocket ship. Just, you know, hold on. A lot of it was fun. A lot of it was scary at times for someone like my personality, so I'm quite quiet. And I think also, do you know what it did? It triggered a, a, a reaction of, well, we just made this first album, and the first album was sort of the greatest hits of those 10 years. I remember Tom Petty said something to the effect of, like, your first album is essentially your first 10, 20 years of greatest hits. Yes. And then the second album, you have two years to write, so good luck. So they call it the sophomore slump, the sophomore jinx. A lot of times band blows up overnight with a single or a massive album that they probably worked on for 10, <laughs> eight years. And then you have probably 12 to 18 months to follow it up with another banging record. And that can be really difficult sometimes. And so I was like really in my head about starting the second record. Once we finished the song Ophelia, which was the biggest song off the second album, it all started to come into focus. You know, you need these sort of like tracks 
that anchor the album. And it's almost like deciding scenes of a movie. Okay, we have these scenes, they're pivotal. You can't live without these scenes. The rest is not filler by any stretch of the imagination, but you need those 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 songs to anchor the album and then you kind of it starts to develop. So Yeah, I I put it all into my first ever podcast. And episode two coming around the next week was a real problem for me. Early on, you were really distinctively hallmarked as a band that gave truly intimate concerts, performances that made the audience feel like part of the show. And flash forward 10 years, suddenly you're on tour, playing week in, week out, massive arenas. And that emotional connection between band and diehard fan base is everything. Honestly, no joke, same as podcasters, but times a million how much harder are you working these days to maintain that sense of intimacy and, and connection with the audience in those huge venues night after night? I think one of the most interesting things that happens when you're starting out is that you're trying to make the small kind of dingy places feel big. You know, the, the, the 25 people out of cr- in the crowd, you're trying to make them feel like they're at Wembley experiencing the greatest night of their life. 99 out of 100 times, that's not what's happening. There's 25 people in the crowd. Half of them are worrying about what you know, how to get a gin and tonic, not worrying about the music. And then when you're playing these bigger places, you know, we, we've had the joy of we just did two proper stadiums in, in America. Wrigley Field is a, is a famous, iconic baseball stadium in America. We did the O2 Arena. And I, the goal, I'm going to say it right now in this podcast, the goal is Wembley. That's the goal, Wembley. But we'll see. I say that half joking, but also half totally serious. That would be... Truly amazing to do that. You know, trying to make a big place like that, though, actually feel intimate. Sort of, you know, you flip it. And how can you make people in the the nosebleeds in the back feel like they're still part of the the show and feel like they're part of the music still? How do you do it? I think that we've played so many concerts together, me and the band, that we've been together forever. A really crazy thing that happened was we actually opened up for U2 for a string of dates. I think it was 10 or 12 dates. In the United States, it was for U2's 30th anniversary of the Joshua Tree Tour. It was a huge honor. They had asked us to play, open up for them. It was us and then into U2. This was proper stadiums. I'm talking 60 to 90,000 people every night. And all we could do was sort of like, you know, we said, like planted our flag and see who would salute it. There was no, <laughs> we had, it was still super bright out. So we had no, uh, no lights, no smoke to like, no tricks. And we had about 45 minutes, maybe 50 minutes, and we just play all the hits. <laughs> We'd play whatever songs we thought were the strongest <laughs> for an opening set like that. But we still would play sometimes slower or calmer songs and not, I think a lot of bands try to get as loud and as fast as possible. And I think sometimes if you can make an audience member actually quite literally lean in and go strip some instruments back and do something a little bit low key or huh. a little bit stripped down, it can be kind of a good move too. Those shows were terrifying, just watching people be like, what are you going to do for me now? Because they're not there. You know, they are there to see Bono, The Edge, U2. Some of them are there to see you, maybe, but they probably spent a boatload of money on a U2 ticket. So they're definitely there to see U2. And I think playing even those shows helped us cut our teeth a lot. God, you, you know, lesser men, me, would have just played the whole of Under a Blood Red Sky on the banjo. <laughs> just the whole cover versions.
Price Picks is the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states across the country, including some of my favorites California, Texas, and Georgia. Godspeed, Georgia. I'm hungry for a dozen lemon pepper wet. But back to Price Picks. We've been hearing from so many WGFOPs who are loving Double P, Pablo Picasso, Price Picks, which allows them to win up to 25 times their money for the soccer season, is a reason I do appreciate Price Picks because it's simple. During the Premier League match days, I've got roughly 239 tabs on my computer open as we attempt to work out our social media, the pod rundown, the upcoming interview, you get the drift. But because Price Picks is easy to play, I'm not having to constantly click to see how my gents are doing or how many certain actions are worth. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats and you place your entry. That is how easy it can be. You also mix and match players from several leagues across the globe. Luca De La Torre, I'm looking at you, as well as other sports like basketball oh, and hockey. Oh, the Capitals. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. It's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more or pick less. It's that easy. It's Rog here to tell you about a product that I simply adore. It's been a long time staple in the Bennett refrigerator, Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. Always bold, always smooth. Yes, that is the very same Stoke as in the mighty Wrexham Fortress, known as the Stoke Kairas or the Stoke Racecourse, Wrexham AFC's home. They support it. They support football, which is just one great reason to love this coffee. It is my go-to enjoy during the football calendar, essentially the opposite of Everton. And you can check out their full lineup of 48 ounce cold brew products, something for everybody from light to dark roast to seasonal favourites in a refrigerated multi-serve format. I tell you this, as someone whose blood type is now officially Stoke Espresso Blend, have the coffee house experience in the comfort of your own home and do it now. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee and be sure to follow Wrexham AFC. Big love to all at Stoke. Courage. But you are a man who has gone out to live out his dreams and then some. As we discussed, you grew up in Ramsey, New Jersey, once the home of Danny Aiello. Here's the town, one over, from where Matt Turner, the legendary Bergen County Buffon, grew up. And you did play football. This is what I love about you. One of many things, your whole life as a kid, New Jersey, footballing hotbed, Travel football, take us back to Jeremiah Freight, the football day centre midfield player of some repute. So my mom says that I started playing football around three or four. I'll t- I mean, that makes me sound cool, so I'll, I'll believe her when she says that. And I played, <laughs> I played a lot of football up until the end of high school, about 17, 18 years old. So I played from a very young age until about then, and uh, I just I really loved it. I had the the honor to, to actually do a traveling football team, which as an American was really cool. Again, coming from New Jersey, we went over to Dover, Delaware, Connecticut, Pennsylvania. I mean, just even leaving the state lines, that was like yeah, that blew you my mind. Get it, Delaware, you get it, get yeah. It. And you had to try out for the team, and there was three rounds of tryouts, and I kept making it. And I remember one of my best mates, he second the, the last tryout, he didn't make it, and he was bawling his eyes out in the car, and I felt guilty that I made the team, but I was also secretly like super <laughs> stoked that I made the team. And uh, that was incredible. And I just – my dream, believe it or not, before even probably touching a piano, before touching a drum set, was I wanted to become the greatest footballer in the world. That was literally my dream. 
Who and are you looking at? I mean, this was the stonewashed denim and mullet days in which Tony Mueller was a giant astride American football. Who were you looking at, young Jeremiah, and thinking, I want to be them? I don't think that as an American, I might piss off some other Americans, but I don't think as an American at that time, I had a lot of great American footballers to necessarily post posters on my wall. So I was looking at the original Ronaldo from Brazil. Um, I knew of Pele, I knew of Maradona, Tony Miola, I think was made a good showing, maybe in the World Cup 94, was it? Yeah, the original Ronaldo, Pele, Maradona, depending where you put them, Miola definitely in world football in that pantheon. And I love Brazil because Brazil, I remember as an American, again, watching the telly, you had uh, these amazing commercials on the TV. I think it was for Visa or MasterCard. Yeah. It was like the Brazilian John football Wu, team. John Woo directed that commercial. They were in the airport, perhaps, and they're doing these crazy tricks and rainbowing through the security. It's actually, shockingly, it was the best performance Brazil had at that World <laughs> Cup in that commercial. But you said in an interview once, and I love this, that you stopped playing soccer in high school when you got shin splints, discovered the drums, and marijuana. And I shudder to think of all the great American footballers that we've lost to percussion and cannabinoids. <laughs> I think that had my body not started to uh, slowly maybe break down, footballing might have been in the cards, but I got into music. I still loved football and appreciated it, but I wasn't avidly watching games, any games that were really worth watching, especially from South America or the European stuff. It's just a little bit complicated to watch from the States. So I did move to Turin, Italy about two years ago. And when I first started dating my wife, Francesca, who's from Torino, I married into Juventus and I've never looked back. So I love this notion that you didn't just marry your partner, but you married into her family's football team too. And as you say, you moved to Turin two years ago during the pandemic, really sealed the deal for you. You now go watch games with yeah. your father-in-law. You're a great son-in-law, Jeremiah Frank. <laughs> Can you describe the experience, that the cultural difference you found between going to watch Juve and going to watch, say, a game in the Meadowlands? So one of the first times we went to a game, might have been eight, nine years ago, I went with my father-in-law and... You know, we probably bought tickets online that day. Not great seats, but I was super stoked to go. We went, we parked, <laughs> we found parking. You know, we, we found our seats. We probably got a slice of pizza and a beer before the game. It's packed every game, especially back then, pre-pandemic. Every game was packed. Didn't matter if it was a quote-unquote important game or an unimportant game. They're all important, as you know. Still my favorite bit, <laughs> probably before the game starts, is that the lights go off. And then ACDC's Thunderstruck blasts louder than any music I've ever heard in my entire life. And it's the coolest fucking moment you could ever imagine. You have tens of thousands of people there to watch the game. Thunderstruck is cranked beyond, like, almost deafening. And as the team's coming out, and it's just one of the coolest moments. If only Angus Young knew what he was creating when he laid down that song. What do you feel in that moment? Can you describe it? So for me, again, yeah, one of the differences that I've observed is that once the game actually starts, it's just all about the game. You don't see one person with a beer, a hot dog, pizza, popcorn, you know, whatever it might be. I've been to baseball games. I've been to American football games. I've been to hockey games. And, you know, the big precursor, the big it's sort of predicated on like, we'll get alcohol, 
we'll get food, it's a party, and oh, there might be a sport being played. <laughs> That's kind of the way I can sum it up. There, it's watch the game, halftime, then you can go maybe slam a beer, have a little food, and then right back to the seats, watch the game. And I think that moving to Italy, being with fellow Italians, watching the game, it's really mind-blowing. You know, even that, that pronoun, that word, we, we won tonight or we lost or we could have done this or that. I think that you really feel that sense of we when you're in that stadium. Watching on the TV, on the couch, you know, you don't really get that sense of we. But being there, man, it's, an, it's like another whole other ball game. I love that, that that notion of the, they becoming a we and just it becoming ever more major part of your identity. But you've said the act of going to Juventus, it's like going to the greatest gig, just the dopamine rush of the game. Yeah, and afterwards, it's quite even hard to come down, I find that, uh, you know, especially if you're going through a night game, if it finishes at nine, half past ten, whatever it might be, I find myself up until midnight, one, two in the morning, still like, going to Juventus's Instagram, looking at stories, looking at trying to go on Twitter to find a highlight of the goal before it gets flagged and, you know, for violation of copyright. Because whoever is in charge of taking down football highlight clips is the most talented organization ever. And also the most sadistic. It, it's insane. I've never seen a more strict, more fierce, <laughs> like... Within 25 seconds, you'll see the clip and then it's down. I don't get that, but... I know the record industry guys must be like, how do they do it with the violation <laughs> yeah, of copyright? Exactly. But the Juventus story, it is one that's taking some nosedive right now. The board have resigned, financial improprieties have wrapped the club, the team, suffering a massive point deduction. And Jeremiah, I'm an Everton fan and I'm grappling with the doom of my club in a different but all too real way. How do you feel like impacting your city? Does, does it feel like the lungs of the city are being attacked? I'd say a little bit. I mean, just from a social media perspective, the feeling right now in Torino feels like there's a lull, maybe with regards to the team, and I feel like it's going to come back. For me, I love the team. I also really love a lot of players that recently left. Dybala. Probably my favorite footballer, Dybala, went to Rome. Uh, Murata, my fellow Americano, Weston McKinney, I think he just went to Leeds on loan. Chiellini retired to LA. I loved, I mean, Gigi Buffon, now we're going a few years back. He's gone too. So a lot, I mean, a lot of these players I fell in love with when I first started coming to the games, they're all gone. So uh, we got Pogba and he's always injured. So um, it was, it was, I'll say it was really cool to see, uh, I got to see Cristiano you know, Ronaldo play a handful of games in person. You know, people can say what they want about him. When I saw him run on the pitch, I was like, oh, he's he's fast. And then when I saw him really run, it was like nothing I've seen. Like, it's kind of a popular opinion that, okay, it's been confirmed that Messi is now the greatest and Ronaldo is sort of falling from graces going over out of the Europe to a different league. And I'm just like, you know what? He's had an illustrious career I don't think he was a great fit for Juve, in my opinion, but it was cool to see him nonetheless. But teams, you know, they have their ups and downs. I think Juve will bounce back. You know, as I'm listening to you, there's a lyric of yours that comes to mind. I know Everton fans around the world understand it profoundly now. Juve fans a little bit too. Um, it's better to feel pain than nothing at all. Stubborn love.
During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com slash deals. New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable active wear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% off offsetting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash MIB. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash MIB. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns? Trust me, go to viore.com slash MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. But your passion for football has led to it merging with your music. Tell us what happened, Jeremiah, at one of your Manchester shows when you're booking agents like, come on, come back here, come and meet a great fan. Yeah, so we had a gig in Manchester five, six, seven years ago. And our booking agent, who is uh, English, he said, hey, guys, um, somebody here wants to meet you. He's got a guitar. If you could sign, you know, he's a footballer. Yeah, like, who is he? Like, bring him back. Uh, yeah, it's Wayne Rooney. And all of our minds were just absolutely, like, stunned. <laughs> like, what? How is he even here? How did he, you know, did they sneak him through the back? And he came back with a guitar. We signed a guitar for him. And we got to hang out with him and have a have a few beers with him. And it was a crazy moment where it's just, and I, I've said this many times, that it's it's very easy. And a lot of times it's probably more fun to hang out with people that are not musicians because there's no sense of ego. You know, this idea that you're going to take two famous musicians or two famous footballers like Messi and Ronaldo, and they're just going to be best mates. is probably so <laughs> unlikely. So to meet a footballer or athlete, you know, Anybody that's not a musician, it's just generally easier and you're more relaxed to, to get on with the conversation. A lot of times you're really interested about their lifestyle, vice versa. They have questions about our lifestyle. So it's a great pairing. And uh, since then, Wayne came to a, a handful of more gigs. He came out to Dubai one time and he came out to another one. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean... I love your analogy that the footballers of Messi and Ronaldo do not get on. But if you put Messi and Phoebe Bridges together in a room, they just have so many incredible questions for each other's life. And Wayne Rooney is a, I mean, he's a great friend of our show. We had a podcast series together when he was a player in the United States. And I know he's got quite an incredible collection of guitars, one signed by Noel Gallagher, another by Paul McCartney. And he is an enormous music fan. He's actually a real poet, he legit writes poetry he's a very sweet warm human being yeah i got that impression a lot too i mean i think that whenever you meet 
a very famous person like him is uh, the reputation precedes himself with tabloids and headlines and all this. And I just was, I don't know. I don't even know what the word is. Happily surprised. Just, it was just like meeting somebody that you could tell was such a massive fan. And you could tell that he was very sincere and honest in his love for our band and the music. And that was cool. I mean, he's a man who has got the Stereophonics album title tattooed on his forearm, just enough education to perform. And you went to a bar after the concert, had some beers with Wayne. By the way, you'll know he's a real Lumineers fan when he gets Brightside tattooed as a tramp stamp. But he, right. he, he, loves slow, he loves Slow It Down. And I believe you played that for him in a bar. Yeah, he, he did a request of Slow It Down. Somebody got us a guitar and, uh, yeah, me and Wesley performed that and... Again, that was just a pretty surreal moment. I'm sure for him, also for us, probably for everybody in the room, it was a small gathering. Yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. Don't you frown when you're feeling like that. Only love can dig you out <laughs> of this. And another footballing fan you have, Weston McKinney of Juve until this month. How did you find him? So basically, I know a mutual contact at the Juventus uh, team now. And he had mentioned to me, hey, the, you know, the, the Juventus team is actually going to the States to do a few friendlies, one in Las Vegas, one, I think, in Dallas, Texas, and one in Los Angeles. And I was like, well, you know, we got some gigs. We're getting for four months straight in the United States. We're going to Texas, Las Vegas, and L.A. I doubt it's going to line up, but shoot me the calendar. Maybe there could be some overlap. <laughs> so he shoots me the calendar. And basically how it lines up is that Juventus is set to play a friendly against Real Madrid at the 90,000 capacity stadium in LA on a Saturday. And believe it or not, the night before, their night off, Friday night, we're playing at the Staples Center, which is in Los Angeles. So sort of this holy shit moment and uh, four of the Juventus guys came out. We were all hanging out backstage, had catering with me before we performed. And then I was in my little dressing room, which has a piano always. And I was playing some stuff for the guys and then Weston hopped on. Weston's actually quite musical. He was playing something and I quite literally stood behind him and took his hands and I played uh, Ophelia, our song, on the piano. And that was kind of a kick for me. And uh, again, it's like, you know, you just, it's just lively and it's like, it's just very fun and playful when you're meeting somebody that's not a, another musician. How are Weston McKinney's piano skills? Because Ophelia is now very keen to show it off on social media. I've I haven't seen the videos, but I need to I need to check them out. Somebody else told me that apparently Weston has been showing off his skills. I'd give him like a seven, eight out of ten. I think with my you know under my study, he could become a proper <laughs> pianist. But it'll take some time and hard work, <laughs> some sweat and determination, possible blood, tears. But we'll get him there. He'll give you it, Gaffer. But there is something of the showman about Weston McKinney. You could slap a hat at a jaunty angle on that man. Some suspenders. Could have really had a musical career. You can see that. I agree. I agree. Jeremiah, now your football playing days are relegated to renting indoor soccer fields to play <laughs> with your bandmates and your crew or playing pickup games against the support acts that I believe can turn proper violent. Yeah, so we played one game, pickup game, with a band, an Irish band named Soak and another band, American band. I forget the name of them. It was on tour. It was a very hot day, middle of the summer, probably about like 36 degrees. Sorry, I'm using the Celsius now because I, I live in Europe. Very hot. And uh, I, I recall a football hitting our piano player Stealth in the face, breaking his glasses. And I remember there was a little bit of bad blood on the field, but it, it was quickly resolved. And Revenge for Elton John. 
That's right. <laughs> we haven't had too, too many games, pickup games along the road. It's quite hard to organize. And, you know, when you have a day off, sometimes you just want to rest in the hotel and you don't want to run around a soccer pitch. But uh, it was really, we've done a couple, we just did one actually kind of recently, maybe in August or September on the last U.S. tour just last year. That was a lot of fun. It was me and a couple of the band members and then um, maybe like 10 or 12 of our crew. And even when I was still dating my wife, coming over here, my brother-in-law still lived here. He's a goalie. <laughs> so we did a couple of pickup games. And Have you still got it, Jeremiah Freaks? I guess that's what I'm asking. Yeah, I can still, like my lungs are probably the first to go. Like I have the, the brain for it and I can understand what I want to do. It's just that my body doesn't seem to do what it, my brain tells it to do anymore with the speed and with the lung capacity. I actually just played a football game maybe two months ago for a charity event. And that was like a lot of fun. That was good. The way you've just described yourself, like uh, a brain, but your lungs go very quickly. You don't have the legs. You've just described 90% of Everton's squad this season. <laughs> and I hear that and I'm like, from a footballing perspective in the US, we are witnessing a very different era to the one you grew up in. One in which so many young Americans like Wes, Tyler Adams, Pulisic, Brendan Geo, they leave the nest. They're flocking in Europe. Young Jeremiah, if you were growing up now, seeing them now, do you think young Jeremiah would have kept going, become a professional footballer? Did you ever think about that? Jeremiah Freight's Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors <laughs> could have just kept drums as a hobby like Peter Chet. I think, uh, I think, I, I think it would have been different. I mean, even something like you know, as peripheral as the show Ted Lasso, like that. Those types of shows culturally, we can't say that they don't do things to the the psyche of a culture. And that show, I think, is brilliant for one. I think it's one of the few shows. Where I'll admit it, where I could laugh and cry within the same episode. And, you know, it's about the beautiful game. I mean, even Ryan Reynolds' purchase of Wrexham, things like there is something happening pretty massive in the last even five, seven years of the American culture and the psyche that is sort of, I'm really pumped. I mean, I think that if I was a youngster, again, five, six, seven years old with a football at my feet at all times, I'd go for it for sure. God, he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where. Jeremiah Freights. <laughs> Jeremiah, just hearing you talk about football, the role it plays in your life, you know, it, it's hard not to hear an echo of the way music, that role that it plays in people's life. The experience, as you describe it, of coming home from a Juve game, just that adrenaline rush, being unable to go to sleep. You are on tour now. You are going across the United States, across the world. Is that the feeling that you are hoping your music will hit people in that same way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the thing about when you get on a tour and you're a few weeks out and sometimes even a few months out, you really lose track of what you're doing to people and you lose track of how big sometimes the shows are. You wake up in your bus, you go inside the venue, you eat catering, you're always backstage, you're in a green room, maybe you go to the hotel, you perform the show. and then Wayne Rooney's always there. Yeah, Wayne's there. And you're concerned about <laughs> sleep and going to the next show. Going back to these Juventus games, getting in the car, trying to find parking, trying to find the ticket, getting in there, trying to find something to eat real quick, maybe get in your seat, ACDC, thunderstruck, the lights go off, the team comes on, you watch the game. It kind of, you're like, holy shit, if our band, Lumineers, is giving a tenth of this energy and like spiritual, like, erupting to to our fans then 
that's super fucking cool and amazing and hard to put into words. And I think going to yeah, going to other people's shows, other people's events, games, organizations, that's actually really helpful. I mean, even, you know, related to music specifically, I went to see Coldplay at um, the Giants Stadium in New Jersey over the summer last year. And again, that was the same feeling where I was like, wow, this is, you know, taking an Uber and trying to get through the flock of people to your seats and all the stuff just sort of reminded me of what a big high you're leaving that show with. Yeah. God, I cannot wait for the Lumineers cover of Thunderstruck, which is surely, <laughs> surely imminent and going to open up every single one of the remaining nights on your tour. Jeremiah, your football fandom thrills me in a way your music has thrilled millions uh, over the last decade. It is a joy to be with you. Catch the Lumineers on their tour, audible pretty well all around the world uh, over the next couple of months. It's a joy to be with you, to you, to your family, to your father-in-law and your team. Thank you, Raj. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Courage. Whoa, the man who taught Weston McKenney to play the piano. What a conversation. A massive thanks again to Camarena Tequila for helping make it possible. It is the GFOPs from that most awarded tequila, my favorite tequila, who have brought you these big conversations with the likes of Reza, JJ Watt, and Jesse Marsh. If you haven't heard those yet, go back on our pod feed and check them out. We should also mention that Camarena is the official tequila of La Liga. Until next time, this is Mikey Three Limes reminding you that Camarena tequila is 40% alcohol by volume. Please enjoy responsibly. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.